Good morning. Welcome to the Unitarian Church of Edmonton. My name is Gordon Ritchie. Karen Mills and I will be your service leaders this morning, and we will be joined by our minister, Reverend Rosemary Morrison. We do hope that you feel welcome here this morning. Our theme for the month of December is opening to joy. Day to be here. As we prepare for this special time together, I invite you to quiet yourselves and any electronic devices that you may have with you. And I offer you these words by Sherry Woodbury. Perhaps some here have outgrown mystery. Maybe you have doubts about Santa or have forgotten the magic of a newborn child. One might easily lose touch with awe in the struggle to do it all, or simply to survive. Hear now this invitation to open yourself to surprise today and be ready to greet unexpected delights. Our prelude this morning will be performed by Coriolis. It's a tune entitled Winter Comes.
The Unitarian Church of Edmonton is a liberal, religious, multi-generational community. We celebrate a rich mosaic of free thinking, spiritual questing individuals joined in common support and action. We welcome diversity, pursue the common good, and work for justice. We believe in the compassion of the individual heart, the warmth of community, and the search for meaning in our lives. We gather with gratitude this morning on Treaty 6 land. A treaty is an inheritance, a relationship, and a responsibility. May we be good neighbors to one another, good stewards to our planet, and good ancestors to all our children. I would like to invite Jeff Ford to light our chalice this morning. I'll be reading words by Ellie Kemmler entitled, Messy, Wildly, Imperfect Love. She writes, Blessed are you in whom the light shines, in whom the brightness blazes, your heart a chapel, an altar where in the deepest night can be seen the fire that shines forth in you in unaccountable faith, in stubborn hope, in love that illumines every broken thing it finds. Thank you, Jeff. You'll notice that our sanctuary has been bedecked, and so to celebrate that, let's join in our first hymn, number 235, Deck the Hall. For those of you online, your texts will be coming up. I ask you that you sing as lustily as we will be singing. So I invite you to stand as you are willing and able and join in singing hymn number 235. seated. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I think I know most of you. If you don't, my name is uh, Reverend Rosemary Morrison, and it is my pleasure to serve this congregation. I would like to invite John Turvey up to light the Advent candles. And this is the second week of Advent. And so I read these words by Megan Dowell. We are entering a time of year where the earth grows colder. Animals begin to hibernate and days become continually shorter. Last Sunday marked the beginning of the season of Advent. In the Christian tradition, Advent is the beginning of the church year, recognizing the transforming power of God in the world and looking forward to the birth of Jesus and the celebration of spiritual life. Christianity is not alone in celebrating this time of year, celebrating light this time of year. Hanukkah, solstice, and Kwanzaa all involve, involve candles, fire, and lights as part of their celebration. 
Our wreath has four candles on it, and we light one candle for each week of Advent to remind us that the light of these candles guides us towards personal peace, shared joys of the season, and opportunities to build love in our church. So the first candle that we light is the symbol of hope and expectation. Let this light bless us with the power to accept the healing of peace. May it bless us with, their, with the creative power of hope as we express our intention for peace in all its forms and open our hearts to transformation. Together we are blessed this morning by who we are and by the hope that brings us together. The circle of greenery that reminds us of the internal circle of life without beginning and without end. This morning is the second Sunday of Advent, so we also light the second candle as a symbol of our longing for peace. We bring our hope into the world when we practice peacemaking. Our caring community aspires to be a source of freedom from violence and exclusion. As June Jordan writes, may we become the ones we are waiting for. Together, may we strive to create lasting peace, infinite spirit of life. Teach us to seek peace, understanding, and justice. Open our eyes and our hearts to the work of peacemaking. And now, as we move into our Coriolis service deeper, we are going to sing Coriolis. I get to sing too. Uh, we're going to sing Winter Wonderland. I invite.
the Christmas Angels by Susan Fonker. It was December 23rd, 1993. For a single mom who was going to college and supporting my children completely alone, Christmas was looking bleak. I looked around my little home, realization flowing like a slow, twisting pain. We were poor. Our tiny house had two bedrooms, both off the living room. They were so small that my baby daughter's crib barely fit into one room, and my son's twin bed and dresser were squeezed into the other. There was no way that they could share our room, so I made my bed every night on the living room floor. The three of us shared the only closet in the house. We were snug and always only a few feet from each other day and night. With no doors on the children's rooms, I could see and hear them at all times. It made them feel secure and it made me feel close to them, a blessing I wouldn't have had in any other circumstances. It was early evening, about eight o'clock. The snow was falling softly, silently, and my children were both asleep. I was wrapped in a blanket, sitting at the window, watching, watching the powdery flakes flutter in the dimming light, when my front door vibrated with a pounding fist. Alarmed, I wonder who would stop by unannounced on such a snowy winter night. I opened the door to find a group of strangers grinning from ear to ear, their arms laden with boxes and bags. Confused, but finding their joyous spirit contagious, I grinned right back at them. Are you Susan? A man stepped forward as he held out a box for me. Nodding stupidly, unable to find my voice, I was sure they thought I was mentally deficient. These are for you. The woman thrust another box at me with a huge beaming smile. The porch light and the snow falling behind her cast a glow over her dark hair, lending her an angelic appearance. I looked down into her box. It was filled with delicious treats, a fat turkey, and all the makings of a traditional di Christmas dinner. My eyes filled with tears as the realization of why they were there washed over me. Finally, coming to my senses, I, I found my voice and invited them in. Following the husband were two children, staggering with weight of their packages. The family introduced themselves and told me their gifts and packages were all gifts for my little family. This wonderful, beautiful family, who were total strangers to me, somehow knew exactly what we needed. They brought wrapped gifts for each of us, a full buffet for me to make on Christmas Day, and many extras that I could never afford. Visions of a beautiful, normal Christmas literally danced in my head. Somehow, my secret wish for Christmas was materializing right in front of me. The desperate prayers of a single mom had been heard, and I knew right then that God had sent his angels my way. My mysterious angels then handed me a white envelope, gave me another round of grins, and took turns hugging me. They wished me a Merry Christmas and disappeared into the night as suddenly as they had appeared. Amazed and deeply touched, I look around, looked around me at the boxes and gifts strewn at my feet and felt the ache of depression suddenly being transformed into a childlike joy. I began to cry. I cried hard, sobbing tears of the deepest gratitude. A great sense of peace filled me. 
The knowledge of God's love reaching into my tiny corner of the world enveloped me like a warm quilt. My heart was full. I fell to my knees amid all the boxes and offered a heartfelt prayer of thanks. Getting to my feet, I wrapped myself in my blankets and sat once again to gaze out the window at the gently falling snow. Suddenly, I remembered the envelope. Like a child, I ripped it open and gasped at what I saw. A shower of bills flitted to the floor. Gathering up, I began to count the five, ten, and twenty-dollar bills. As my vision blurred with tears, I counted the money, then recounted to make sure I had it right. Sobbing again, I said it out loud. One hundred dollars. I looked at my children sleeping soundly, and through my tears, I smiled my first happy, free of worry smile in a long, long time. My smile turned into a grin as I thought about tomorrow, Christmas Eve. One visit from complete strangers had magically turned a painful day into a special one that we would always remember with happiness. It's now several years since the visit of our Christmas angels. I remain grateful for the many blessings in my life. Every year since that Christmas in 1993, we have chosen a family less blessed than we are. We bring them carefully selected gifts, food and treats, and as much money as we can spare. It's our way of passing on what was given to us. It's the ripple effect in motion. We hope that the cycle continues and that someday the families we share will be able to pass it on too. invite you now to join in singing our next hymn. It's number 224, Let Christmas Come. Number 224. Our community is entirely self-governing and self-supporting. One of the privileges of our free church is our tradition to provide all of the financial support for our many ministries from among ourselves. Generosity, therefore, is one of the spiritual values we recognize as central to our personal and institutional well-being. In addition to supporting this church community, we also make a monthly contribution beyond our walls. One half of the identified cash or unidentified cash, sorry, that is received is given to an outside organization. Some are local, some national, some international. And for the month of December, we're sharing our abundance with RISE, Reconciliation in Solidarity Edmonton, a not-for-profit society. Founded in 2015 in response to the one-year anniversary of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission national event in Edmonton, RISE is made up of people from all walks of life committed to moving reconciliation forward in the community.
The objectives of RISE are to share awareness of the lasting impacts of residential school, to create safe spaces for conversations about reconciliation, and to offer opportunities to learn more about and engage with Indigenous culture. With this in mind, I would encourage you to give what you can. For those of us attending here, there are collection plates on either exit door side. And for those online, uh, the website information will be available for you to give uh, electronically. In recognition for the gratitude that flows from this congregation, let us sing together from you I receive. Next, I'd like to share with you four short Christmas stories that were collected by Colin Heasley, all giving little glimpses and insights into what uh, Christmas can be when someone chooses to make it special. Our first story is called The Brownie's Sash. A few years ago, I participated in a storytelling project in the month of December, and the theme of the event was gifts. I told my story of how I had received a brownie's uniform and manual from my grandparents for my seventh birthday, granting me the opportunity to be in a troop, only to be faced with a horrible leader who freely told the other girls that she didn't like me and would only give out badges on days I wasn't there. My story concluded with revealing that after one year in brownies, I had only one badge. All the other girls moved on to the next level of Girl Scouts, I did not. My mother was at the storytelling event, and two weeks later for Christmas, she handed me a small gold box. 
Inside was a brownie sash adorned with every badge a girl could possibly earn and accompanied by a three-page letter explaining how I had earned every one of them. I was so touched I cried. It was the most beautiful and thoughtful gift I ever received. Our second story is called Catching Santa Claus. One Christmas morning, my parents woke my siblings and I and told us that they had secretly videotaped Santa last night and we just had to see it. At this point, we had started to question if Santa was actually real or not, but when we saw the video of Santa putting gifts under our tree and eating the cookies we left, any doubt that we had was gone. Years later, we found out that my parents had found a Santa suit at the store and stayed up all night recording the video, but we still talk about that every Christmas. Katie has written a story called The Forgotten Present. I was about eight years old and it was a couple days after Christmas. My mother had found a present in the closet that she had forgotten to give me. But instead of just giving it to me and saying that was that, she snuck out on our back deck and threw it on the roof. My parents called me out and showed me this gift and my dad got the ladder out and spotted me while I got it down. I still remember the butterflies thinking, wow, he really came. Santa was up on the roof and this fell out of his sleigh. I'll never forget that feeling. And our final story is called Together for Christmas. When my family was able to get together for Christmas, we always went to Christmas Eve Mass. Although I don't really identify with any religion, Christmas Eve Mass was beyond beautiful. The choir's voices were so lovely and strong that the whole building shook with song. My older brother wasn't going to be able to make Christmas because he lived too far away, so it just wasn't the same without him. But as I stood there in our fancy holiday finest and sang carols, my older brother walked in during Angels We Have Heard on High. He had driven for 13 hours straight to make it in time for the holiday. My whole family was crying and I will never forget how it felt, like my own little Christmas miracle. For that reason, I have always loved that song and it was so nice to have my Christmas wish come true. So please join us in singing, if you can't guess. <laughs> Number 231, Angels We Have Heard on High. 231.
reorganize things here. My short reflection is based on a reading from the Book of Qualities by J. Ruth Gendler. And in this little section, she personifies joy and presents joy as feminine. She says, joy, bring, joy drinks pure water. She has sat with the dying and has attended many births. She denies nothing. She is in love with life, all of it. The sun and the train and rainbow. She rides horses at Half Moon Bay under the October moon. She climbs mountains, sings in the hills. She jumps from hot springs to cold springs without hesitation. Though joy is spontaneous, she is immensely patient. She does not need to rush. There are obstacles on every path, and every moment is a perfect moment. She is not concerned with the success or failure or how to make things permanent. At times, joy is elusive. She seems to disappear even as we approach her. I see her standing on the ridge covered with oak trees and suddenly the distance between us seems enormous. I am overwhelmed and wonder if the effect to reach her is worth it. Yet she waits for us. Her desire to accompany us is as great as our longing to accompany her. Her. And it is that last line that I am particularly taken with. Her desire to accompany us is as great as our longing to accompany her. So the theme this morning, as Gordon mentioned, is joy. The Soul Matters theme. We're following doing theme-based worship using the Soul Matters program. And as I read through this reading, I was struck with the concept of joy desiring to accompany us. And it is as great as our longing to accompany joy. In other words, as we long for joy, and you can put in any other word in there, as we long for peace, as we long for whatever, love, Candler suggests Joy is hoping we'll pay attention to it and therefore pursue it. It reminds me of one of my theology classes in seminary taught by uh, the principal of Vancouver School of Theology, the Reverend Dr. Richard Topping, and he is a Presbyterian minister as well. He often talked in class about how, in his words, the God that we are seeking is the same God that is seeking us. Kind of that same idea that Ruth has put out there, Ruth Gandler. Our part, that, therefore, is to let ourselves be found, allow ourselves to be seen. I had a really hard time in this class, as you can well imagine, Presbyterian minister and me in the same class talking about theology. We didn't see eye to eye all that often. And he was gracious with me and allowed me to think about theology in my own terms, using images and metaphors that were not always part of the Christian Bible. He got used to me. I tamed him a little bit for the following Unitarians. I likened, but he loved this idea. I put this in a paper, and I likened that God he theologized about to a childhood game I used to play, and I'm sure we all did in elementary school. It's when a, a person that is it has to leave the room, and then to the people that are left, the kids that are left, that you pick an object in the room that is the object. And then the person comes back and has to find the object. And the only clues that the class can give them is the hotter, colder clues, right? So do we all remember this game, right? So they move towards the object, you say hotter, they move away from the object, you say colder. 
But what if we took this game and incorporated it into our lives? Hmm. What if we set out to find the object called joy by playing hotter, colder? It, it could work something like this. If something brings you joy, do more of that. Move towards it. If something leaves you without a feeling of joy, don't do that anymore. <laughs> right? It's kind of simple. For example, and you know what, and I use that metaphor, that game, when I think about spirit as well. If, some, if I go to something or feel that movement, that awe, that thing that, that makes us feel something, I like doing those kinds of things more. Just my little game. So, back to my script. <laughs> I used to love to bake. Uh, it brought me a lot of joy. So I did a lot of baking for my family growing up on the farm. And then when I had a family of my own and I had a lot of chances to do a lot of baking. I had 14 foster children and two uh, biological children. And so I did a lot of baking. But um, baking is sort of like alchemy. You add static ingredients together in a particular order using techniques that can be easy or difficult, but all can be learned. You can learn, I am watching the great Canadian baking show, <laughs> and there are people there that are learning how to bake. And I think to myself, I can't believe you got on that show and didn't know that technique, but anyway. <laughs> so you put all these things together, and voila, that's for the French section, you have something that does not resemble in any fashion your original set of ingredients. When I was diagnosed with celiac disease, and that means that I cannot consume gluten in any form or any amount, um, it saddened me very much because most gluten-free baking is really awful. However, some amazing young bakers have produced through trial and error, plain hot or colder, some pretty darn good recipes, and I have found joy in baking again. Although it's pretty dangerous to do a lot of baking when you live alone. <laughs> so I've been doing a lot of baking in preparation for my family coming to my house this Christmas, and it brings me joy. And I want to go back now to the concept of Ruth Gendler, that what she brings in the last line of this beautiful piece. I am overwhelmed and wonder if the effort to reach her is worth it. Yet she waits for us. Her desire to accompany us is as great as our longing to accompany her. The concept of finding joy, according to Gendler, is also not static, like the ingredients in my baking cupboard. There is effort in finding joy. We have to create the alchemy, she suggests, in our lives in order to find joy. And I'll tell you that hearing children in the sanctuary brings me joy. While I agree with this to some degree, no, I agree with my past statement, sorry. I, I, while I agree with the idea that we can have to work towards our own joy, a caution needs to be thrown out there. People living with poverty, abuse, mental health conditions, insecure housing, food apartheid, or, or, and you fill in the blank must not be told to work harder to pull up their proverbial socks and go find joy. Joy is not to be goaded into. Rather, we need to advocate for the equal distribution of resources, better mental health resources, affordable and accessible housing and food, etc. And my social work background is showing. Proudly, I might add.
Joy is indeed shy, and the ingredients need to be just right for that magic to happen and for joy to show up. And we heard so many beautiful stories already about how joy happens. And as the Grinch says, it doesn't come from a store. If we are lucky, we can allow joy to wash over us. We can live our lives so that joy will find us. And taking it one step further, we can allow ourselves to be seen by joy, by love, by hope, by spirit, whatever that means to you. What would it like for you to be truly seen? And then know in that moment of being seen that you are worthy of love, that you, are, that you belong, and that you can find joy and experience it. And you are worthy of that love and belonging. I invite you at least once over this holiday season to allow joy to find you. Open yourself to it. Know that joy is looking for you as much as you are looking for joy. So may it be. Amen. And now, speaking of joy... I invite you to open your hymn books to 245 Joy to the World, our age-old familiar Closing words are by Jan Richardson, her piece called Blessing the Way. And it's from Circle of Grace, a book of blessings for the season. I invite you, if you ever have a chance, to read any of her work. It is stunning. With every step you take, this blessing rises up to meet you. It has been waiting long ages for you. Look close, and you can see the layers of it. How it has been fashioned by those who walked this road before you. How it has been created of nothing but their determination and their dreaming. How it has taken its form from an ancient hope that drew them forward and made a way for them when no way could be seen. Look closer. And you will see this blessing is not finished, that you are part of the path it is preparing, that you are how this blessing means to be a voice within the wilderness and a welcome for the way.
I invite Jeff Bazance to come and extinguish the chalice, please. And the chalice extinguishing words are by Maddie Sefantis. We extend, adapted by myself, we extinguish this flame, but we keep its light in our hearts with its message of hope and peace. We now take this light out into the world we live in until we are gathered again. Thank you. And our postlude is uh, by going to be offered by Coriolis, and it is the most wonderful time of the year. got a couple of announcements but first so important to thank Coriolis the leaders of Coriolis thank you Karen and Gordon and to thank everyone else that has taken part in this service the readers the greeters the tech people the people on zoom for being here the people in the sanctuary for being here braving the snow cold and ice um, Marilyn, would you like to say something? And then I'll have something else to say. Today is the day that we are uh, having our Right for Rights event. All around the world, Amnesty International has targeted 10 uh, victims of uh, discrimination or persecution, uh, prisoners of conscience, and all around the world, targeting the date December 10th, which is the United Nations Day for Human Rights, and in our case, the Sunday nearby, um, we're going to be writing letters. This is just a sample of one of the people who will be benefiting from the letters that you write. Her name is Zhang Zan from China. She's a young journalist and lawyer who was in Wuhan when COVID-19 uh, outbreak began. She reported to the media this uh, disastrous tragedy and for her 
uh, conscientious perseverance, she's been put in prison ever since. And uh, on the back of this paper, you'll see who, to whom the letter may be addressed and the, uh, the address itself where the envelope can be um, uh, directed. And um, we would hope that someone who's doing something for the benefit of humanity is not punished but rewarded. Um, there are many other cases on the table out in the foyer, and I would hope that you'll take a few minutes to write a, just a one-page letter, a simple statement of your um, dedication to peace and justice and human rights and your opposition to this violation of the above. So thank you, and thank you to the volunteers who've helped me set up the table. Um, I hope that we can send off a big stack of letters and I'll take them to the post office with the correct postage for all of the foreign destinations. Thank you. Thank you, Marilyn. A very worthy cause. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is that next sun Saturday here um, at one o'clock is Lila Slizny's memorial service. And I just want to give everybody a heads up that um, the sanctuary seating has, is um, taken up by family and presenters. And so if you come in person to uh, Lila Slizny's memorial service, seating will be in the Keeler Hall, and I think there'll be projectors, and it will be presented on Zoom as well. Um, so just so you know, the maximum for COVID seating is 50, and apparently that's about how many relatives are coming, and they will be seated in the sanctuary. Kind of wanted to give you a heads up on that, so that when you come and you will not be seated in the sanctuary, you will not be disappointed. So you can either be seated in the Keeler Hall or join on Zoom. So I think that's it for announcements. Anybody has a better idea where announcements can go? Let me know. The beginning of the service, the end, the middle, it never works. So anyway, um, and now we will carry the flame with us as we depart today. Uh, so I invite you to stand as you are willing and able and sing together, carry the flame. Mm -hmm. 